Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Well, we are in our Truth, Love, and Worship series, and today we're going to John chapter 4. We're going to look at uh, two verses. This is really an introductory text, and let me just say this to you. This is an introductory text, but next Sunday it will be the text for our message. We're going to have the same uh, text for this Sunday and next Sunday. Next Sunday will be the last in the series of Truth, Love, and Worship. We have been looking at what I like to call the DNA of our church, or what I hope to be the DNA of our church. That is that we are a church that speaks the truth. We preach the Bible. Uh, We absolutely stand on the Word of God. Um, There's uh, the tendency, there is the um, temptation to stray from the Word of God, and even in churches, there's a tendency to uh, preach the social agenda of the day. There's a tendency to preach the preference of the pastor. There's a tendency to preach the preference of the congregation. And uh, if you're going to be a true, um, a true house of God, a true church, a true body of Christ, it really ought to start with the truth. And, and that's the truth of God's Word. But let me say this, God's Word should be spoken in love. Uh, we should never have any kind of a, a crass or uh, a harshness <clears throat> about us. We should understand that while God's Word is the truth, that God's love is the ultimate love. And His Word can be and should be spoken in truth, regardless of how the the Word is being delivered or being lived. We should do so with love. You say, well, maybe I have to deliver a hard message. Even more so, it must be done with love. So we should demonstrate love in our walk and in our lives. And I hope that's the DNA of our church, that indeed all of us believe that the truth of God's Word should... uh, uh, should be our, um, our text always, and <clears throat> that we should uh, believe in love, that we should uh, live in love, and that we should speak in love. And all of this points us to the place where we're able to <clears throat> worship the Lord. If you speak the truth and you uh, fail to worship the Lord, then you're failing a big part of what uh, you should be in your own spiritual life and what a, the body of Christ should be and what this local body of Christ should be. And so we come today to the second message of our, uh, the part of our series regarding worship. And uh, I call this the attitude of worship. Here's a, an illustration that's not really intended to be funny. So I say that because you might feel a responsibility to laugh and it would be awkward because it's not intended to be funny. It just sounds a little funny. A man once called a preacher to say that he wanted to become a church member he went on to explain that he did not want to worship every week. Uh, He didn't want to study the Bible, really. He certainly didn't want to visit the sick. He did not want to be any kind of a leader in the church. And he had no desire at all to be a, a teacher in the Sunday school. He just really didn't want to, he wanted to be a member of the church, but he didn't want any direct involvement with the church. And the pastor commended him for wanting to be a church member, but he had to confess that the church that he was looking for was not his church, but one that was located on the other side of town. 
the man appreciated it, and he said, could I have the address? He said, you sure can. And so he gave the man the address and hung up the telephone. The man went to visit that church on Sunday, and when he arrived at the address, the church was abandoned, and the windows were boarded, and uh, you could not get into the church. It was a house of worship that no longer was a place of worship. There's definitely an attitude that accompanies worship. This man had an attitude that cannot sustain worship, and it cannot sustain a house of worship. Worshiping is about taking ourselves out of the equation as much as possible, not having to have the me church, not having to have the church just like me, just the way that I want it, just the, the way that, it, that um, I would prescribe it if I were God. We have to take ourselves out of the equation if we're going to worship, and we have to focus on God and do so with a right heart, a right spirit, with a right attitude. Now, here are a couple of verses that speak to our attitude of worship, and we're, like I said, we will take them again next Sunday as our text. John chapter 4 and verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. This morning, I want to share four attitudes that are helpful in worship, four attitudes that help us to know how to worship the Lord. Certainly, we do so in the spirit of truth, But what is the attitude that we should adopt? What is the attitude or attitudes are the attitudes that we should have? First of all, we should worship the Lord in wisdom. It is vital. It is key that we worship the Lord in wisdom. I can remember as a a teenager in high school planning a student body um, government campaign that is to run for office in the uh, student government. We'd planned other events as well, and and there were a a group that wanted to run on a ticket. They wanted to run on a ticket together for president, vice president, and so forth and so on. And we planned the the campaign. We got together and and planned the campaign. There were five or six of us that got together, and and we uh, brainstormed. We tossed around ideas and mainly because we wanted to connect with the, uh, the student body, and we wanted them to think we were cool and fun, we uh, developed a, a cool, fun, and funny uh, campaign, one that would really be entertaining to the, uh, to the students, and, and it was entertaining to the students. There were a couple of other uh, tickets that ran, and there was one ticket that ran. My best friend was running, actually, as president on that ticket, and uh, they had a, a different approach to running for student government. First of all, they got together with their parents, and they said, uh, we want to run as a ticket for student body president, vice president, and, and so on. And uh, we'd like for your, you to help us to decide how to put that ticket together. And so the parents helped them, and they put together a 
a campaign that was organized, <clears throat> that was polished, and that was meaningful. They put together a campaign that didn't have skits but had speeches. <clears throat> they put together a campaign that didn't dress cool but dressed uh, as though <clears throat> they were in charge. They put together a completely <clears throat> different kind of campaign from us and, and anybody else <clears throat> in, the, uh, in the race there in our, our high school. And guess what? They literally mopped up the competition. I don't know that anybody else got half the number of votes that they got. Their ideas were virtually the same as ours. And they ran a campaign just as we had run a campaign and others had run a campaign. But the difference was that they did so with wisdom. They were wise about it. They weren't foolish about it. They weren't careless about it. They were very wise. And I remember when they, uh, on the day of, of campaign speeches, when, when they gave theirs, I sat there and I looked at it and I said, we're toast. In fact, I think I even voted for them. Uh, <clears throat> they were just so much better than we were because they had wisdom that we didn't have. In the ministry, it is easy to get caught up in a brainstorming session and miss the wisdom of worship. While all worship does not have to be the same, there are some, some common, there are some common bonds in worship. Here's what Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1 says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 20. For the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now, these two verses tell us something of the wisdom of worship. First of all, to have the wisdom of worship, we should be careful about worship. Solomon says to guard our steps. The path that we take in worship is a a careful path. It is a careful walk. We're coming into the presence of God, and it should not be flippant, but it should be serious of purpose. Of course, this doesn't imply a sternness. Some people think that in order to worship, you have to be stern. You don't have to be stern in order to worship. You just have to be serious of purpose. And and we certainly don't have to build a a church service that lacks joy or, or we don't have to have the absence of joy in our own lives. We just have to be careful in our worship. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, look carefully then when you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Living a careless life does not lend itself to the attitude of worship. Now, you might be able to do some other things that look and sound like worship, but from the heart, a careless life cannot worship. There's so many illustrations, but hopefully you understand the importance of walking carefully. That is to say, when we come into God's house or when we take ourselves into God's presence and we have an attitude of worship or we want to have an attitude of worship, we should do so from a life that is careful and or repentant. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to have everything absolutely right at all times in our lives. But all of us can walk a careful walk. 
all of us can be mindful of the sincerity of worship. And we come before the Lord, one of the first things maybe we should do is to prepare our hearts. You know, in the Lord's Supper, whenever we have the Lord's Supper, one of the first things that we're told to do is to examine our hearts. And the reason we examine our hearts is because that we do not want to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily or unwisely. Every one of us know the path of life that a careful walk will take us. And we should walk wisely, circumspectly, carefully if we're going to worship the Lord. And, and, and to put it just really plainly, you, you can't just live like hell all the time and then flip a switch and say, now I'm going to worship. Then I'm going to go right back to living like hell. You just can't do that. I mean, well, you can, a lot of people do, but does that follow the instruction of being wise in worship? The Bible teaches that we're to serve the Lord out of a pure heart. So the wisdom of worship is to, first of all, be careful. Here's the second thing. Be quiet. Now, that doesn't mean that the worship service shouldn't be rousing and you shouldn't have rousing music and exciting music and all that kind of thing. That's talking about us having a stillness in our heart to be able to worship. Have you ever had the experience of talking to someone on your cell phone and they wouldn't take a breath long enough for you to respond? <clears throat> you ever had that experience? You're, you're talking to them and, and they just, well, you're not talking, <clears throat> you're listening. And they just go on and on. I'm not sure how that technology works, but it, it kind of seems like <clears throat> that one side has the floor and there must be a pause for the conversation to be able to respond. I think that's the way that it is. There's something in the microphoning that cuts the other person off so long as one person is talking. Now, it may not be that way, but it seems to be that way. How many of you have had the experience and had the feeling that you see on the screen right now where someone will not take a breath and let you, come on, be honest, raise your hand. You've had that experience? Well, sure. Sure, well, I see some of you reaching over trying to take someone's hand down. Clearly, <laughs> they had the experience with you. But uh, <clears throat> it is necessary for us to maintain enough silence before the Lord so that He can speak to us. We must not talk over Him or rush by Him or <clears throat> busy ourselves so much that we cannot come into His presence. Here's what the psalmist said. In Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Sometimes we just have to be quiet. Speak, Lord. Your servant listeneth. Talk to me, Lord. I'm quiet now. I don't know what to say. I'm just going to sit in your presence and try to be in a worshipful heart of adoration and love. And Lord, I will be quiet long enough for you to speak to me. The wisdom of worship is to walk carefully and to be quiet once in a while. Here's the second attitude of worship, wisdom and then fear. 
Proverbs says in 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, let me make very careful a, 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 a distinction here. There is a difference between the fear of the Lord or fearing the Lord and being afraid of Him. There's a big difference there. To fear Him is to have a reverence for Him. Reverence enables us to revere Him. To revere the Lord is to worship Him. We must revere Him, make Him special, make Him who He ought to be in our lives. Psalm 5 and verse 7 But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in fear of you, the psalmist said. He said again in Psalm 89, 6, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? God, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. One person has made this comparison. It's a pretty good understanding of the fear of the Lord. It's like driving down the street while watching. Some people think that the fear of the Lord is like driving down the street while watching a police officer in their rearview mirror. You ever been bopping along on the interstate and just moving right along and and all of a sudden you see in the median over there somewhere around Highway 58, uh, just outside of Tallahassee, <clears throat> you see a, a highway a state trooper backed into a corner in there, or backed in between the trees, and you, you look, and the first thing that you do is <clears throat> the fear strikes in you. You're afraid you were going too fast. And you look down. You know, there are a lot of, of cars that the, these highway uh, state troopers see that nose down. They'll, they'll be coming, they see them, and they nose down because they, they put their brakes on. That's to be afraid. That's different than, than fearing the Lord. To be afraid is to see that police officer in the rearview mirror and know that you're going too fast or you've got something in the car you shouldn't have or so on. <clears throat> the best picture of fearing the Lord is like a teenage girl. Say so one of you young people over here who's 16 or so, and uh, you have your permit, you have your, now you have your driver's license, you finally get to drive solo, and you're out there driving solo, and you're in the car, and you're driving, and you look in your rearview mirror, and there's your dad back there. Now listen, your dad is not back there because he's going to stop you from driving. Your dad is back there to make sure that you're following the rules of driving, that you've got both hands on the steering wheel, that you're paying attention, that you're not texting or using your telephone, that you're not going too fast, and so on. And, and here's the thing. It puts you on notice to be on your best behavior, but in no way should it cause you to think, he's going to take something away from me. When it's your father back there, it tells you that you're safe and that your dad is trying to help you to develop good habits and just to remind you to be careful. That's the way it is in fearing the Lord. We should always understand that God is with us. 
And we should have a healthy sense of fearing the Lord, a reverence for Him that He is always with us. I'll tell you this, it was the fear of the Lord that protected my life that enabled God to call me to preach. I went to to college right out of a preacher's home, didn't want to be a preacher, had no plan of being a preacher. People would say to me, you're going to be your daddy's little preacher boy, aren't you? I said, no, absolutely not. I don't plan to be a preacher. What do you plan to be? Not a preacher. Not going to do it. Not going to happen. Uh -uh. Not going to happen. And I went off to college and and was involved in a lot of things in college and got myself into a couple of places and a couple of times God spoke to me in places where I was and he said, what are you doing here? I mean, seriously, why are you here? Is this what you wanted to do? Is this what your plan is? Really? Why are you here? And because of a healthy fear of God, I said, well, I don't belong here, do I? And the Lord said, no, you don't belong there. Now, I, <clears throat> I moved on from some of those places because I knew that I had a, a reverence for God. And <clears throat> I didn't want to take my life in a direction that would not allow me to worship Him, to revere <clears throat> Him. And He protected my life. So it is for <clears throat> the people of God. The fear of the Lord means that we live life with our Heavenly Father always in the rearview mirror. We always know, we always glance up to see the brilliance of His holiness. We always live and walk with care, and we live and walk with love. And our response to the fear of the Lord is reverence and trust and love. It's the attitude of worship. That's what we should do. Do you want to worship the Lord? Do you want to have the attitude of worship? Well, be wise. Walk carefully. Be quiet before the Lord and fear Him. Have a true reverence for who He is. Don't walk into the house of God and duck because you think the Father's going to hit you with a ball bat. That's not the point. Walk into the house of God with an expectation that you're going to come into the presence of a holy and wonderful and magnificent God. Fear Him. Here's the third attitude that we ought to have, and that's humility. The attitude of humility. When working on this sermon and coming to this point, I thought of a friend of mine. His name is Doru Natyuk. That's a picture of Doru right there. Many of you have met Doru because we've had him as a guest here in our services. Doru is from Romania. He is a pastor in Romania, a wonderful guy, a wonderful friend. And Doru was one of the signers of what I call the Romanian Declaration of Independence. In that he and several other Romanian pastors during the dictatorship of Nicolae Ceausescu wrote a letter of independence to the dictator stating the rights of a free people to serve God. Ceausescu was one of the most brutal (coughs) dictators in all of Eastern Europe. 
And that man with that little innocent face, and he's about this tall, by the way. That man with that little innocent face was one of the signers of that letter sent to Ceausescu. He and all of his pastor friends knew that this would mean imprisonment and possibly death for them if they signed this and sent it to him. But they, they did so. I actually have a copy uh, of that letter to Mr. Ceausescu. And one of the phrases in that letter, I, I can't read it. It's Russian or Romanian. I don't know which it's written in. <clears throat> it said, there is a God and you are not him. <clears throat> Mr. Ceausescu, there is, that little man right there <clears throat> wrote that. He said, there is a God and you are not him. That's the attitude of worship. When when we come to an understanding that there is a God and we are not Him. Until then, we will not and cannot ascribe to God the glory that belongs to Him. Because we're too much of a God to ourselves. There's not a big problem with idolatry in America so far as people worshiping graven images. We're not really that society in America. But there's a serious problem in America of we Americans thinking that we're God. I mean, we have been told for so long that we've got to have it our way. And we get to have it our way. And the only way to have it is our way. That we even come into the presence of God and we say, God, I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to do it, people say, in my own way. I've heard people say that. Well, I worship the Lord in my own way. Well, that's not the humility of worship. The humility of worship is to worship the Lord in His way. Psalm 29 and verse 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. In this verse, the angels are admonished to ascribe to the Lord all glory that's due Him. This takes on more significance when we understand that Lucifer was an angel who did not ascribe to the glory, uh, to God, all the glory that was due Him. Instead, he declared that he would be the light most high. And and sadly, that's what we're serving in the world today. We're serving a world where we are like the most high. We're not humble enough to see God's holiness. Psalm 103, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It's easy to become blinded by our own light. It really is. It's it's so easy to just see our own brightness that we can't see his brightness. This happens in in the world of fame all the time. Professional athletes and and famous uh, people, they cannot see Anything, they can't see God truly because of their own light. Professional athletes do in, 
zone dances and taunt the crowd after making a, a big basket. I remember, <clears throat> I'm sure it was before this, but my first brush with this attitude was when there was a, a guy that was a boxer, and he says, I'm the greatest in all the world. His name was Muhammad Ali. I remember that. I, I love sports and professional sports, and, and I love college sports. And I, I enjoy other things that creates fame for people. But one of the problems with the creation of fame is that we think that we're the end of it and we cannot see another light for our own <clears throat> light. That same spirit creeps into the life of each one of us. And as the Bible says, we think ourselves more highly than we have a right to think. Here's you an idea. I don't know that there's a person in this room that doesn't enjoy a moonlit night when the moon is a full moon. Just beautiful. Sometimes that moon will, it is so bright, it, it almost makes it appear to be daylight. And you can walk outside and you can actually see the color of the grass and you can see uh, somewhat the color of the flowers. And that moon is just absolutely brilliant. And we think to ourselves, man, this is the most gorgeous thing. And we totally 100% forget that the moon is a dark rock. And were it not for the brilliance of the sun reflecting off of that surface of the moon, it would just be a dark rock floating above our heads. The brilliance of the moon is the brilliance of the sun. The shining of the sun causes us to love the fullness of the moon. That's the way we should look at our own lives. <clears throat> the next time that, that we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think of ourselves. The next time that we, we place our light in such a, a way that we really think we're all that. The next time that we want to do an end zone dance because of something that we've accomplished. The next time that, that we want to be the light, let's remember that we're just a reflection of the light. In fact, the Bible says that our foolish hearts are darkened. The Bible says that in us there's no good thing. And while I'm glad that you're in God's house today and I believe it's a good thing, I believe it's a reflection of God. It wasn't a good act on your own. God stirred you to be here. I believe with all of my heart that any good that is done in this world is because God stirs our heart to do good. Were it not for the goodness of God and the brilliance of God, uh, we are all as an unclean thing. We all fade as a leaf. Every single one of us would be making the choices that causes others to be in prison this morning. It's only by the brilliance of God. That's why we worship God. 
That's why our spirit to come before him should be humble and understanding that we are nothing. Nothing. John wrote in chapter 3 and verse 30, he must increase, I must decrease. That's the spirit of worship. Can you get that? Can you, can you come to that? That you're a reflection of the brilliance of God? If you have any good in your life, it's a reflection of the brilliance of God. Here's the final attitude of worship. We have to worship in wisdom and fear, humility. The final attitude is generosity. When we come together on Sunday, it's with the understanding that we, we come to worship. And what we do, we do, or what spirit we, uh, we do, we must do with an, uh, a spirit of worship. But how do we worship the Lord when we come here? I mean, seriously, how do you worship God? How <clears throat> have you worshiped God since you've been here? Well, some people say, I raise my hands to worship God. Wonderful. And I can see that. That's a wonderful worshiping of God. By the way, the Bible says that we're to raise holy hands. That's why we walk carefully during the week before we raise uncareful hands. We want to raise careful hands. We want to raise hands of praise. Some say, well, I get into this or I get into that. And all of those things, I'm not here to criticize the way that people worship in the house of God. But I will tell you that a lot of times we go through motions of worship without the the spirit of worship, the attitude of worship. We introduce this message by reading the words Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, and that God is to be worshiped in spirit and truth. But how does that play out for us? How does that play out for you? And how does it play out uh, for me, especially on the Lord's day? We can certainly sing to the Lord. The Lord liveth, blessed be the rock, bless the God of my salvation, let the God of my salvation be exalted. That's a wonderful song. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Oh, I love those songs. When I find myself in a, in a time of worship with those songs, I, I find sometimes two or three things. Sometimes I'll, I'll close my eyes and throw my head back and sing. Today, when Mike Parker was, was singing, and, and I was enjoying it, and you were enjoying it. I, my, my heart of worship laughed. It really did. I sat over there, and I laughed. I smiled and laughed, and I thought, how great, how wonderful. What a magnificent song, and, and what a gift God has given to Mike to be able to sing it today. How do you, you worship the Lord? There's, there's some ways that we worship the Lord. We sing to Him. We sing praises and hymns and songs. We enjoy singing. At least we should enjoy singing. That's part of the worship. 
You don't have to sing well to worship in singing. Everyone can and should make a joyful noise to the Lord. Equally, we should participate in, in other things. When the choir sings, we should participate in it. Maybe we can't sing, but we can worship uh, with them as they sing. And when the specials are sung, and, and on and on it goes. There's one aspect of, of our worship experience in which everyone can participate, and that's giving. That's a worship experience. That's the place where we realize that we're not God and nothing that we have is of our own doings. That's where we humble ourselves. That's where we say, Lord, I want to offer to you not the least things, but the best things. God, I want to give to you the best that I have to offer. Lord, I want to give you my first fruits, not my last resorts. Because I worship you, Lord. Someone talked to me recently about a situation that they had gone through. And quite frankly, it involved the donation of a lot of money. And now the, the situation was, was difficult for them. And I said to my friend, you have to make a decision who you gave that money to. Did you give that money to the organization or did you give that money to the Lord? He said, well, I gave it to the Lord. I said, then you got to walk away from any undue attachments because it doesn't matter how good our intentions are. We're just a reflection of His good. It doesn't matter how big our bank accounts are. We're just a reflection of His wealth. It doesn't matter how gifted we are in singing or whatever it is else it is that we might be able to do because we're just a reflection of His great giftedness. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. First Chronicles 16, 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. We have conditioned ourselves to think that, well, I got a lot or I didn't get much out of going to church today. We've conditioned ourselves to think like that. And I don't know that it's, that's necessarily the worst thing. But the bigger question is, what did we give in worship today? That's the bigger question. Well, I didn't get anything out of that. Fine. What did you give to that today? Because that's the spirit of worship. It's not just humility. It's not just how we sing. It's not just raising hands. It's not just uh, uh, lifting our eyes. It's, it's not just singing. It's not just all of those things. It's what did, what did I give today? How did I give to the Lord my best? 
Some of you have seen this before. This has been in my desk drawer for a long, long time. I don't know how long it was, but it's, the envelope says Temple Baptist Church on it. We changed our name from Temple Baptist Church, I don't know, six years or so ago. And so this is well before that. And, and it's an offering envelope. It's, a, it's an offering envelope that came out of the pew. There should be some pew envelopes there if, if you didn't bring your regular tithing envelope. And on the back, it's got what I would consider girl's handwriting or a woman's handwriting because it doesn't look like a man's handwriting, and you can usually distinguish. And here's what it says. The best that I have. That's what it says on the back of it. The, the best that I have. Now, I'm not sure that I remember who gave this to me when, when it was presented to me. I think it was Frida, I think it was Joe Mitchell. I think Joe Mitchell got this out of the offering plate and brought it to me. And I can hear him. He said, Preacher, this is in the offering plate. I don't know whether, who it's from. But somebody gave this in the offering plate. It's a bracelet. Um, I don't even know if it's worth anything. It, it appears to have uh, something that looks like uh, little emerald stones, and, and I don't know if they're, they're diamond chips in it or not. I, I don't know. I don't know if the, I don't know the, the quality of the gold or if that's gold at all. I, I don't know anything about it. But there was a Sunday morning when somebody was touched by the Lord in a spirit of worship. And the Lord said, you got to give your best. And this woman or teenage girl, in fact, it could be a woman in our church today when you, you gave it as a teenage girl or you gave it years ago. I, I don't know. And, and, and let me say this to, to you. I don't really want to know. It means more without knowing, to tell you the truth. But somebody was touched and they saw that offering envelope, and they reached up and got that offering envelope, and they took this off their, their arm. There's a little clasp right there where they were able to get it off their arm. They took this off of their arm, and they had written on there the best that I have. And that probably is the best that they had. And they put it in that offering envelope. They uh, sealed it up, didn't put a name on it, and one of the ushers brought it to me. We think you ought to have this. You know, the truth is, the Lord ought to have it, and the Lord got it. When that, I assume, woman, young woman, maybe not so young woman, put it in this envelope, sealed it up, and put it in the offering plate, God was glorified. 
the father of blessing was blessed by the spirit of worship. And to that end, I pray that we come to God's house with the attitude of worship. God, I'll give you my best. God, I'm just a reflection of you. Whoever I am, whatever I have, whatever I'm able to do, whatever notoriety I gain, whatever authority I get, it's just a reflection of how that you have worked through my life. Otherwise, like the moon would be a dark rock floating over the earth, I would be a darkened soul bound to a eternity in that terrible place called hell. Thank you, God, for what you reflect in my life. You are worthy, and I worship you. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.